Welcome to World of Soundtracks, a monthly podcast where we explore storytelling aspects in films and TV through music. Whether it is comparing book adaptations, observing themes over a series, or microanalyzing the choice of instruments, we look at how the story is told and moves us. I am your host, Ruth Mudge, and today we will be looking at the 1995 movie of Sense and Sensibility. I am particularly excited to talk about this adaptation as it has a special place in my heart. For one, it was my first introduction to Jane Austen right around my 13th birthday. Two, it was one of the first soundtracks that I ever bought. While many friends grew up on John Williams, my teenage years were exposed to Patrick Doyle's music between this movie and his two Shakespeare movies previous to this one, Henry V and Much Ado About Nothing. In fact, I remember listening to the tape of Much Ado About Nothing in the car as my dad tried to explain the plot on our drive to school. Patrick Doyle is a Scottish composer who works closely with Kenneth Branagh to this day. Many directors choose to work with the same composers because they understand their vision and begin to have a shorthand. Doyle and Branagh began working together on Shakespeare stage productions in 1987, which brought Doyle to his first movie of Henry V both in acting and writing his first soundtrack. For the two of them, it has been a close partnership for years, from Shakespeare to Thor to Cinderella to Agatha Christie. Emma Thompson, both the screenwriter and actress playing Eleanor in Sense and Sensibility, also knew Patrick Doyle from being married to Branagh in those early years, as well as acting together in those first Shakespeare movies. Thankfully, despite the fact that the screenplay of Sense and Sensibility were written and filmed during the messy times of their divorce, it did not affect Doyle's relationship with Emma Thompson. Not only did he write for this film, but he also composed for Nanny McPhee, also written by Thompson. I will say it is a bit more unusual for the screenwriter to bring along the composer, but this was director Ang Lee's first fully English film to direct, so he had less contacts in that area. This soundtrack for Sense and Sensibility was Patrick Doyle's first Academy Award nomination. This movie was part of the beginning of the golden age of Austin adaptations in the 90s and came out of the same studio, Columbia Pictures, as Little Women that had come out the previous year. In fact, Little Women did so well that they decided to use some of the title music from Little Women for the trailer of Sense and Sensibility, hoping it would appeal to the same audience. It's pretty rare to have music from the actual movie as part of the trailer, unless it is part of a series or franchise, so it makes sense from a marketing frame, even though it is a slightly different sound than what occurs in the film. The trailer is up on YouTube, which is quite amusing if you want to watch the whole thing. I'm going to play a little snippet of the title music that is used in the trailer so you can imagine seeing Sense and Sensibility with the music of Little Women. While Patrick Doyle's style is a bit more theatrical in nature than the previous Austin adaptations we have looked at, or more like Puccini in both melodic quality, but also in moving or even manipulating the emotions, he was asked to be a bit more restrained, to reflect the British reserve shown particularly in Eleanor, but also the society as a whole. There are emotional bursts throughout, but the style often seems to reflect Eleanor, while much of the themes are Marianne's songs telling their journey. This movie also has quite a lot of silence in letting the dialogue and comedy speak for itself. That means that the moments that do have music are telling the story either in the romantic or sisterly relationship and their growth, or taking you to a new place, such as Devonshire or London. The style of music is in keeping with the time period in that it does emulate much of the classical era, particularly Mozart in the choice of instrumentation and style, especially in the piano works. There's a cleanness in the equal phrasing, rhythmic clarity, and using techniques such as suspensions. While the size of the orchestra and string sections are fitting within the modern context, 
as well as the sound of the modern piano. That is often the case for most ensembles playing Mozart, Haydn, and Beethoven today. Added to these are the solo winds, especially flute, oboe, and clarinet, combined with French horns. This matches the traditional orchestral sound of that time, which would then have had trumpets or timpani for special moments, but not as a general whole. My Father's Favorite is one of the pieces that emulates Mozart the most and introduces the setting and mood by being in the opening titles. It has a calmness and peaceful quality to it to set the audience at rest, most of it being in solo piano with a few winds and accompanying strings. Unfortunately, this is one of the few parts that is not on the soundtrack, but it does come back later in a slightly different orchestration. it seems to imitate a second movement or the slow movement of a Mozart piano concerto, where the piano is accompanied by the orchestra. Here is an example of Mozart's piano concerto number 11 in F major, the slow movement. The other track that helps to set the sound of this film near the beginning is a particular sum, as it is the first piece of music to occur during the story, as John and Fanny Dashwood discuss how much money to give the Dashwood women, and Fanny continues to bring the amount down. It also begins as they travel, one of the key points when music is played throughout this film, and it helps give a sense of movement and the mood of those traveling. It does have an unusual aspect that is only used in this track, however, and that is the strums of classical guitar marking the main accents of the melody. Guitar is an instrument that was around during that time, as heard in many of Luigi Baccarini's guitar quintets for guitar and strings during the 1700s, such as this quintet, number one, for guitar and strings. also reminds me a bit of Doyle's music in Much Ado About Nothing, which also features quite a bit of guitar. On a whole, this is a very light piece with the phrasing in the violins and flutes, using little breaths and staccatos, and the focus of both a strong beat followed by a weak beat, to give it a sound of floating and moving. This is a technique often used in Baroque and classical music. This is a scene that is told in a comedic way, even though the results end up being rather sad matching the ending minor chord that sets up for Marianne's dirges.
One of the things that makes Sense and Sensibility stand out in the Jane Austen adaptations is that all the songs, piano music, and ballroom music are written by the composer. While this is pretty common in Patrick Doyle's music to write the majority of balls and songs, yet most Austen adaptations might have the occasional special dance written by the composer or the piano music such as in the miniseries of Sense and Sensibility but usually the rest are folk tunes or classical music to help give it a grounding in the Regency world. Instead, while it imitates the classical style, it also has a cohesive sound throughout, as well as being diegetic, being music from the world heard by the characters instead of just accompanying the world. My father's favorite is the first of these. Not only is it played for the opening credits, but Marianne plays this piece on pianoforte, or at least what looks like one, even if it doesn't sound like one, as Edward comes across Eleanor mourning her father. This becomes a connection for them as he can understand the loss of a father, and he seeks to provide comfort and a listening ear, as we see them talking regarding Margaret, piracy, looking at the future, and feeling slightly trapped by their options, while the theme continues adding in orchestral instruments as they are riding on horses. It also seems fitting that the piece that most reflects the classical era should in fact accompany the two who are very dutiful and slightly reserved, as it also reflects order and certain musical rules, and yet the soaring melody matches for them falling in love. The classical era started to create structure to their pieces, and this one fits into that with having an ABA structure, which means that the middle section is different and often minor, with the main melody returning again afterwards. There are also a lot of suspensions with the dissonant notes resolving in a very similar way to Mozart's music. One interesting thing to note is that the soundtrack is different from what is heard in the movie. What I just played for you is actually from Patrick Doyle's album, The Music of Patrick Doyle Solo Piano, put out in 2015, since it matches more of what is actually heard in the movie. On a side note, this album does give you a glimpse of how Patrick Doyle works in hearing his music on piano instead of full orchestra, as that is how he starts his process. Harry in Winter and St. Crispin's Day particularly have a different feel on piano than in strings. Back to Sense and Sensibility, the track of My Father's Favorite is more like a piano concerto with strings and wind accompaniment, but in the movie, it is more of an intimate piano sonata with the instruments finally joining in as Edward and Eleanor are on horseback talking about their options for the future. At this point, the first theme has returned and the clarinets are answering the melody with a little counter-melody. The added instruments fill out the sound a little bit as they continue to get to know each other. This change from what is in the movie and what is heard on the soundtrack does remind me a bit of John Williams, who will include his orchestral arrangements on his albums instead of what is actually in the film, such as Leia's theme in A New Hope, or even the full track of Hedwig's theme for the first Harry Potter film. We usually expect that everything is on the soundtrack will be in the movie and vice versa, but that is not always the case. 
there are a handful of tracks here in Sense and Sensibility, which may have been written for the movie, but then are not included, such as Praying Penniless Women and Felicity, and even several other tracks where only a portion of it is used instead of the whole thing. As someone who has listened to the soundtrack extensively over the years, I was actually surprised how many parts I couldn't find in the actual film. My guess is that Doyle wrote more for the film, and then they decided to go with more silence to let the humor, the words, or the emotions speak for themselves. The middle section of My Father's Favorite is heard once more in All Delights of the Season as they head towards London in the carriage. Here, Lucy is telling Eleanor how delighted Edward would be to hear that they are friends, explaining that she has no cause for jealousy, and yet definitely is. The theme brings back all those conversations with Edward back to Eleanor, while she pretends to be disinterested with Lucy's jabs. This part of the theme originally played as Edward shared his dream of a quiet life as a clergyman, now switching to Eleanor, hearing Lucy's dreams and exultations. This time, it is accompanied by a harp instead of piano arpeggios, with the flute and strings playing the melody. The flute is used quite a lot in this soundtrack, for many of the melodies often mixed with the violins in the same range to add a different color. This is the last time any part of My Father's Favorite is heard in the story. One aspect of Patrick Doyle that carried from stage to literary film adaptations is his setting words to music. All the Shakespeare movies have written songs that became essential to the musical world, such as No Nobis from Henry V, or Sigh No More Ladies in Much Ado About Nothing. In the case of Sense and Sensibility, two poems were set to music by Patrick Doyle that helps tell the story and bookends the soundtrack. The first is a song written by John Dowland, a court musician of Queen Elizabeth I. While it is unclear if the words are written by Dowland or an anonymous source, it is thought to have been written alluding to the Queen's death in 1603, the same year as the publication of the Book of Songs. It also fits very well for Mary Ann's love of the tragic romance, who says at the beginning, To die for love, what could be more glorious? The lyrics for the poem go as follows. Weep you no more, sad fountains, what need you flow so fast? Look how the snowy mountains, heaven's sun doth gently waste. But my son's heavenly eyes view not your weeping, that now lies sleeping, softly, now softly lies, sleeping. Sleep is a reconciling, a rest that peace begets. Doth not the sun rise smiling, when fair at even he sets? Rest you then, rest, sad eyes. Melt not in weeping, while she lies sleeping. Softly, now softly lies sleeping. Here is the original Dowland song played by the consort of music.
Kate Winslet's performance of the song is not featured on the soundtrack, but instead is heard by opera singer Jane Aiglin. The second song, The Dream, is in the end credits, while Weep You No More is not, but it makes sense to have both recorded for the soundtrack when you have a world-class singer. At least they didn't go the popular way of using pop music for the end credits like many movies. That truly would have been very jarring. I will say that these two performances match a little bit more of Doyle's usual style of writing within the orchestra. One thing to pay attention is the text painting in the melody as it falls with the word softly, now softly lies sleeping. This song is one of the most frequently used of all the themes and motifs throughout Sense and Sensibility, especially for Marianne's journey of love. It is first heard in harp, flute, and clarinet as she enters Eleanor's bedroom reading a Shakespeare sonnet. There is a charming romantic idealism heard as she believes Eleanor is in love, although a bit disappointed with the dispassionate response. We then hear her sing this song at the Middletons when Colonel Brandon first sees her. The clarinet continues with this theme as the audience sees him cleaning out his gun, talking to Sir John, and quietly pining, believing it is better for Marianne not to be with him. It is a bit lower and darker in timbres, as well as a little faster, as he is aware he doesn't match her ideas of romance and all the better for her. moves into a new melody as the scene changes to Marianne and Brandon playing a lawn game. The melody is not quite the same, but it stays in the same vein that will come into play several moments for Marianne throughout the film. plays again even more starkly by itself, almost a pining melody, as Eleanor looks at the handkerchief that Edward had given her after Marianne accused her of having shallower feelings, impatience. Meanwhile, Marianne is falling in love with Willoughby, and the song theme plays once again in flute and harp as she sketches his silhouette and he takes a curl of her hair. It is more simple, with less dense chords in the middle, being both charming and yet a bit wistful as Colonel Brandon looks on. This is the most complete version of the song, and the most similar to the piano and vocal arrangement. Marianne has found the one that matches her romantic idealism.
all three instruments of the flute, clarinet, and harp return after Marion's heart is broken by Willoughby, when Eleanor tells her the true story regarding Eliza and Willoughby. The instrumentation harkens back to that original moment when they were together, intimately talking in the bedroom near the beginning, except now the romantic idealism is gone. The final moment is a short motif from the first few notes played, when Marianne is very sick, seeming to fulfill that role of dying for love. Considering that the poem is about losing one to death, it is both appropriate and tragic. The second song that is featured is a continuation of Marianne's journey after her illness. That means we hear it less, but it is no less important to her growth and maturity both as a person and how she views Colonel Brandon. This song is based on a poem by Ben Jonson, a poet from the 1500s and contemporary of Shakespeare, titled The Dream, and goes as follows. O scorn or pity on me take, I must the true relation make. I am undone tonight. Love in a subtle dream disguised have both my heart and me surprised, whom never yet he dare attempt to wake, nor will he tell me for whose sake he did me the delight or spite, but leaves me to inquire in all my wild desire of sleep again, who was his aid, and sleep so guilty and afraid, as since he dares not come within my sight. Love is now a surprise that has appeared out of a dream. Coming out of a romantic idealism, Marianne has not completely changed, but grown up out of sickness and heartbreak. This song is given to her by Colonel Brandon with a new pianoforte, and the audience hears it as she practices it before being interrupted by Edward's arrival near the end. Due to the timing of when this happens, There is not an orchestral version to accompany any scenes the way the first song is woven into the narrative. It is used, however, in the credits, providing both a bookend and the soundtrack between Marianne's two songs. But even in the movie between Eleanor's song of My Father's Favorite at the beginning and Marianne's final song at the end in the dream.
The other main theme and motif that is woven throughout the story is first heard as they travel to Devonshire. This theme, while used the most for Marianne, is in fact for the whole Dashwood family. They are moving to a new life and a new adventure while saying goodbye to the old, especially Eleanor after her confusing goodbye with Edward. The rest of the family seems confident of his coming to visit soon, but she seems unsure. Both the higher theme heard in the higher violins and flute and the counter melody in the lower violins and oboe, which answers the higher theme, are used throughout. It is heard twice, first higher and then lower, including French horn to fill in the sound and give a slightly different color with the melody. things I find interesting is that the melody and counter melody need each other in the beginning and are not complete without the other part. The call and response aspect is very important. This is what it sounds like with just the top melody. Here is the counter melody or the responding motif. Since this melody represents the journey of the Dashwood sisters, one could argue that it really represents the two sisters and their need of each other. Sometimes it plays for Eleanor and other times for Marianne, but it is their journey together that is in fact the most important. The full theme returns slightly slower in Grant Me an Interview. The romantic flute plays the top line answered by the clarinet and accompanied by strings, feeling more intimate in a smaller ensemble, as well as the slower tempo giving a little more time to live in it as Marianne and Willoughby slowly stroll together. Willoughby is asking Marianne to be free for a proposal the next day, and there's a quiet, joyful anticipation by both in looking forward to their lives changing together. The theme quietly plays once in the solo oboe and answering clarinet as the women sob in their rooms and Eleanor drinks her tea before transitioning to the card party with Mrs. Jennings while Marianne sadly waits at the window. Unfortunately, Marianne's heart is broken by Willoughby, first by his leaving and then his rejection and choice to marry someone else. The theme returns as they travel to the Palmer's home, again as a moment of traveling and movement 
but especially as she's reminded that his home of Kub Magna is within viewing distance. The arrangement is very reminiscent of their traveling to Devonshire at the beginning, changing partway through, but then returning again near the end, this time ending in minor, reflecting the sad nature of both Eleanor and Marianne's time in London, and the grief that they both carry. It is around this time in the story that a new motif is played, being the most emotional and the most resembling Doyle's style. It is full of suspensions coming down almost like sighs, and often accompanying Eleanor's concern and watching out for her sister. As the story heads to the emotional crux both for Marianne and Eleanor, it begins to play more and more, particularly as Marianne walks to Cum Magna and Eleanor is watching and waiting at the window. The higher violins and lower flute play this motif and pattern, while the lower strings swirl up and down both for the storm and drama, accompanied by timpani beats. There are more dissonances held in the middle voices and horns throughout before resolving, playing a faster version of the Dashwood theme as Marianne quotes the Shakespeare sonnet she had shared with Willoughby. The rhythm has changed to a dotted rhythm in the counter melody as she weeps for her loss. The music returns to the high size now, accompanied with harp, as Brandon has found her and brings her home. The Dashwood melody plays almost as a melancholy and romantic version in the sweeping violins and horns and harp, as Brandon is now the romantic hero, but ending unresolved with a minor oboe as she is rushed to her room, ill, wet, and cold.
The sighing suspensions return with strings and horns as Marianne becomes ill and the doctor starts to bleed her, telling Eleanor that she must prepare herself for the worst. At this point, the emotional climax comes to head for Eleanor by stripping back the instruments. Instead of a string orchestra, there's a string quartet and harp, one instrument per part for an intimacy of sound, as Eleanor grieves and asks Marianne not to leave her alone. There is also less movement between the suspensions, which leaves a lot of space and emptiness that changes the mood. It repeats one more time as an oboe and English horn is added to the color, as the cello plays a pedal tone, giving a gravity to the moment and adding to the stillness as the harmonies no longer change in between the way it did earlier. The Dashwood theme returns once again in strings, with the clarinets playing the responding countermelody, when Marianne thanks Colonel Brandon for bringing her mother while sick, and then as it transitions to Colonel Brandon reading poetry to Marianne, with everyone settling back into life after London and Marianne's illness. In being a slightly lower register to start, it sounds warmer before the melody is taken up again in the higher flute, in There Is Nothing Lost. One thing that is interesting to note is that the countermelody has a dotted rhythm now, with the first note longer and the second shorter. It was straight and even with Willoughby's attentions, but now it has changed. It is a subtle, slight way to show a musical difference with Colonel Brandon and the changes of heart for Marianne. I'm going to play a version of both, Willoughby from Grant Made an Interview and Colonel Brandon from There Is Nothing Lost, so that you can hear the difference. It is finally Eleanor's turn again as the theme returns slightly slower in the strings, remaining romantic and intimate with harp arpeggios as Edward returns and proposes to her. The instrumentation fills out with horns and English horn, which is a lower-sounding oboe, 
as the Dashwood women wait impatiently outside, and then Margaret informs them that Edward is kneeling down. Don't worry, we'll resolve in just a second. Everything is crescendoing and rising with a timpani roll into a cymbal crash, one of the few percussion moments as it appears that a wedding is happening. The melody appears again before another cymbal crash as Colonel Brandon and Marianne are shown as the bride and bridegroom. We also see Eleanor and Edward happy together as well. Both sisters have found happiness and the music reflects the fullness and joy. The music then becomes a little quieter and wistful with a melody playing in the violins and oboe as Willoughby looks on regretting his loss of Marianne. Note that the counter melody is once again straight. The orchestra grows again in instruments, especially horns, as they lead to Colonel Brandon throwing the coins, ending with a cymbal roll once more as they go in slow motion through the air. The rest of the music in this movie is all regarding locations. While part of the track in Not a Bow for Miles includes the Devonshire theme, the part heard in the movie is near the end of the track with the solo winds, from the high flute down to the French horn taking turns with a cascading melody as the Dashwoods adjust to their new life in a cottage, especially Margaret enjoying the mud and then needing a bath. It is sweet and yet a little still, as is their new environment.
the rest of the music is in London and the events that occur within it. Much of the music is background music accompanying scenes, and another example of diegetic music, such as the harp solo, Excellent Notion, as Fanny and John Dashwood converse regarding Marianne's situation with Willoughby at a tea room with Robert Ferris. I remember one of my favorite podcasts, Art of the Score, mentioning that solo harp pieces are rarely heard on soundtracks, and I could only think that they haven't watched that many Jane Austen films. It is very fitting, as background for a tea room, having a solo harp in that setting still happens today. The dances for the ball are all written by Doyle, something that is actually pretty rare in Austin adaptations, as most choose to use folk tunes except for the special romantic dance. However, anyone who has seen the live-action Cinderella to the fourth Harry Potter film knows that Doyle usually writes the music for his dances. What makes these unusual, besides the sound of a full romantic orchestra instead of the size that would match the ballroom, is that one of the main dances are also heard as people travel through London. Steam Engine is the first piece heard in London as all the Dashwoods, Mrs. Jennings, the Palmers, and Lucy Steele are walking through London. This instrumentation is a wind ensemble similar to Mozart's wind divertimentos. The rhythm actually reminds me of more of a polka, which isn't at all period accurate as that started a few decades later, but still is a lot of fun. This piece is the dance that occurs as Marianne is rejected by Willoughby, looked down by Miss Gray and her companions, and carried almost half-fainting through the ballroom. It is a great contrast of being emotionally distraught to the energy and cheerfulness of the music and dancing and gossip. There is a lovely piece in the background as they arrive to the ball and meet Robert Ferris, but it is not included on the soundtrack. The dance that is featured is as Eleanor dances with Robert and then runs into Willoughby. It is a dance in four, with strings fulfilling their more traditional roles in a dance, with the bass line in the cellos and basses, the offbeats in the middle strings, and then the fun scalar melody in the violins and flutes, with lots of trills. It ends with a traditional cadence of 5-1, often accompanying the final curtsy and bow at the end. This is Willoughby. that accompanies Mrs. Jennings running through the streets of London with her news about Lucy and Edward's engagement seems very similar to that dance, but almost twice as fast. This is the only string piece, and in contrast to the only wind piece, also representing London. Both contain energy and excitement for all the things happening in London, 
but also are unique in sound compared to the rest of the soundtrack, which is more mellow in the movement and timbres chosen. In writing music for the songs and dances, the soundtrack effortlessly connects the story as a seamless whole, having the music that the characters know and play become part of their larger story. Together, the sisters grow in maturity through falling in love, loss, and learning from each other. It is also a story which says a lot through very little, as the majority of the film is in silence, which means that what is there is very specifically chosen and meaningful. Next month, we are going to start a three-part series on adaptations of Emma, beginning with Rachel Portman's score from the 1996 film and how it fits in the romantic comedy genre. You can join me in discussing all the musical moments regarding Sense and Sensibility on the Facebook group World of Soundtracks or on Twitter and Instagram at WO Soundtracks. Which part surprised you the most? Do you have a favorite moment in the movie or soundtrack? Feel free also to like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Amazon. Until next time, happy listening! A special thanks to all those involved to make this podcast happen, especially Edith Mudge for the title music and Lindsay Bergsma for the graphics. This is World of Soundtracks. <laughs>